of Church, and those of you that are watching online, it's good to have you this morning. Um, I'm actually thrilled to death, and I think Grant is too, that I'm actually here this morning. Uh, we were at the American Association of Christian Counselors for Wednesday through Saturday, and of course, coming back, the airlines tried to mess us up again, which they did, so hopefully I function well on about three and a half hours sleep, and uh, this will make sense. If it doesn't, that's my default switch right there. So. <laughs> We'll, we'll see how it goes in terms of uh, putting all that together. Uh, I'm, I'm going to invite you just to bow with me uh, before we step into the scriptures this morning. Well, gracious Father, we see you as our great refuge and a place at times to escape from even ourselves to stare into the face of Christ and to be reminded of your great love for us and your grace towards us, how merciful you've been, the kindness of your spirit in our own life, that even though that you know that we're flesh, that we have at times what feels like monumental struggles in living by faith, you love us not because of our performance, but because of the shed blood of Christ. And we come to you this morning to think about some things that we have often would take for granted, would probably yawn if uh, understanding the topic or the subject matter this morning and yet there's something that we need to be reminded of in our journey about how we live and what that means, and we pray that your spirit will continue to instruct us this morning uh, to continue to not just give us information, but that you would help speak into our lives those values and truths that need to reshape the way we think and even our belief system and certainly our behaviors and our habits. We would ask that you would again bring us to the pages of your truth and your scripture and allow that to filter through our heart and our mind and our emotions to continue to uh, help us learn what it means to surrender more to you and to walk as your servants and to be people on mission. Thanks for the opportunity to be together. We thank you for this time and we entrust it to you in Christ's name, amen. Romans chapter 14 is where we are right now. We're in 10, 11, and 12, and we're talking about uh, true spiritual accountability. Uh, it's a term that gets tossed around a lot, in whether it's the business world or it's in churches or leadership structures, is accountability. If I asked you a question this morning and said, if you not just look at our church, but, and you can maybe think of this from your own perspective or just the church in general, do you, would you, if I ask you, do you think the church needs more accountability in terms of how we operate or less accountability? Well, I think some of you would say, oh, absolutely. We need way more accountability in terms of how we operate and how the church is helping each other and all those kind of things. On the other hand, people are going like, well, I don't know. I grew up in a pretty legalistic, fundamentalist type framework. Uh, that accountability was brutal. It did nothing but suck the life out of me and I'm really not interested in accountability. And so you're gonna get people on both ends of that spectrum to saying some, like absolutely, it's, it's usually the ones, I kinda laugh, it's usually the people who think they've got their act together that says, more accountability, let's get after it. It's the people who've been really hurt by accountability and by people that go, yeah, you know, boy, I, I can't live up under the expectations of other people so I think I'm gonna pass on that. And the question actually is, and we throw this term around, whether it's leadership, whether it's ministry, whether it's all kinds of things in life, 
we talk about accountability all the time, and yet this morning I want to challenge your thinking about accountability. I tell you, I've worked in my mind, I've kind of struggled with this message more than I have a lot of messages that I've done, simply because of the complexity of this, and knowing how I think about it and how you probably think about accountability, um, this could have been a five-sermon series, to be honest. Uh, what I'm gonna do this morning is try to unpack this enough to mess up your thinking. That'd be all right? Not, not like I do that all the time, but what I wanna do is to help you think about spiritual accountability, and it may not look the way you think it does. Let me start, Romans 14, if you have your Bibles or whatever, you can follow up top here. Romans 14, starting in verse 10, says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister, obviously? Or you, uh, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, if you just look at the text and just kind of ponder it for a minute, there's, there's kind of an eerie sense of reality check in this. Because one of the things that he's talking about is, through the first nine verses, is people at different stages in their spiritual walk. Um, one of the things, let me make this sort of disclaimer, I'm not really speaking to the business world, I'm not speaking to leadership structures or ministry structures, I'm really just talking a lot about just our walk with Jesus, being part of a community and being in this journey together and how does accountability fit into that. Uh, and the reason for that is because in the first nine verses, he said, listen, there, there's people who've tried to keep people accountable, but they're doing it the wrong way at, at a minimum. You know, they look at one person and they don't eat meat and they abstain and just eat vegetables. And so the ones who go, well, you know, their convictions are kind of screwed up. They don't know better. But, and, and, so they pass judgment on them. And, and then the people who uh, eat anything are often looked at with contempt by the other people because it's kind of like, how can they say they're Christians? How can they say they're spiritual? And they're not paying attention to this really important matter to me that, that really has... I came out of some really bad moral stuff, and, and I don't understand why they don't take that into consideration. And so while a lot of the issues that he talks about here aren't moral or immoral in and of themselves, they become moral or immoral because of the personal convictions of individuals. Last week, we talked about the idea of individuals weaponizing their convictions and, and slaughtering other people with them. For instance, I... Um, I talked to you about last week about uh, a pastor in a real situation whose husband threatened to divorce his wife if she dared go and get a vaccine in order to keep her job. Now that sounds really extreme and a little like takes your breath away a little bit, but I'll tell you, after 36 years of ministry, the one thing that tends to ruin more marriages than any other thing, I think unequivocally and arguably more than anything else, is couples weaponize their own personal convictions about what needs to be done, how it needs to be done around the household. It revolves around parenting or folding the clothes or keeping a house clean. And because they can't agree on that, and the husband goes, well, I'm the head of this household, you need to do what I say. And the wife is going like, I've been asking you to do other things and you won't ever do them, that they end up destroying their marriage over personal convictions and they can't work them out. It's not over the big stuff. It's over stuff like this. And you and I both know, as I've mentioned before, there's churches that have ripped themselves to shred over this last year over personal convictions. 
And yet they'll say, well, you know, it's personal convictions and then we tie in the scriptures and principles and love and faith and everything else. So we know how deadly this can become. If you look at the idea of accountability just to define the concept, there's things that simply says uh, to give an answer for someone's actions. The other side of it is being responsible for something or liable. So there's, every church is a, maybe a nonprofit organization, but they have a board that's liable to the state for the operations of what they do. We think of accountability in terms of ministry. So we use accountability pretty freely, but I wanna suggest to you this morning that there's some things that should challenge that. And as I said, we're not talking about the business world or things outside of it. We're thinking about the nature of accountability in the life of the community of the body of believers. As tricky as this is, um, we will talk about accountability in terms of anything that goes wrong in a church or with an individual. Almost immediately, the first thing is, well, where was the accountability? Why wasn't there an accountability to fix that kind of thing or keep it from happening? Accountability groups we have all the time for personal growth. We might not label it that way, but we use accountability in that context that we're keeping each other accountable we try to mean it in a good sense in terms of helping people grow, but that's how we use the term. We talk about accountability in, meter, uh, in uh, leadership and ministry, but I will propose to you this morning as we step into this text that it has sort of an anonymous tone to it that I think accountability often gets way overused, often misunderstood and misapplied because we use it kind of as this blanket statement that this is what we should naturally and normally be doing. However, from the text itself, you'll notice that there's a danger, and one of the evidences that we don't understand accountability is when we start judging other people because they're not living up to what our expectations are. The idea that we get irritated with someone, often it'll be a family member or spouse or someone, but someone around us that will get irritated and impatient with them because they're not doing it the way I think they ought to do it. There's, there's this problem, and I like J.D. Dunn's statement about this particular text, if you just look at the text where he says this. The implication is there in this text to be drawn that those who take upon themselves to pass judgment on others are usurping the authority of God alone, falling into the same old trap of idolatry and putting themselves in the place of God. But you're gonna say, well, wait a minute, Brad, we gotta have accountability. We don't have accountability. I mean, what kind of a mess are we gonna be in if we don't have accountability? Well, just read the text again. If we start judging and condemning and having contempt and we're condescending and criticizing and judging other people around us, the basic problem is, is that there's many believers who feel like God has died and they've put, God has put them in charge of telling everybody how they need to live. That's the danger. Now, some of you are just immediately gonna say, well, that's just a really bad form of that kind of thing. We're, we're supposed to encourage and love one another. Aren't, aren't we supposed to hold each other accountable for those things? But as you begin to work through this, uh, the evidence that we've stepped over the line is this whole list of things, despising and criticizing and complaining. I will propose to you this morning, if you wanna be with me in this journey, to say, when we start doing that, we've stepped over the line and we believe that that person is accountable to me for the way they need to live their life when we start doing that. In a sense, that's what he does. He appeals to the fact that, hey, where are you going off judging people? They're answerable to God, not to you. 
But of course, that's going to bring up some other complications. Now, let me complicate it even more for you, if you want to think about it. If you look through the scriptures, this whole idea of literally that where the phrase is that we have to give an account is used in very few uh, contexts. Uh, the ones that I would see, and I'm not listing everything here, but these are the primary ones, is that 1 Peter 4 talks about unbelievers having to give an account. It literally means to give a word, but it's in reference to giving a word to God about their behavior and their life. We would call it the great white throne judgment, uh, but that's, that's kind of the framework. Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel is elevated to a, a high official governing over the king's matters, it tells us the officials have to give an account to them in order so that the king doesn't suffer loss in managing the kingdom. So it's used in political areas and government things. It could be used in business where people are accountable to things. But when you get to the New Testament, it's interesting that there's really only two ways that it's used. The, clearly, the predominant way that the idea of giving account is always used of believers, not in relationship to one another, but in relationship to God. And you can see it in this text. Each one of us will stand before God and give an account for our life. That's the clearest, predominant way that it's used. The one other place that is really obvious is Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, that particular text says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. And so the idea is, who do they have to give an account to? Well, some people might say, well, they've got to give an account to the body of believers that they're overseeing because that's who chose them. It's not what the reference is here. The clear idea is they have to give an account to God for their responsibility in overseeing the body. And it's interesting that the next admonition is, let them, he's not speaking to the leaders now, he's speaking to the individuals or the body, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So even here, the, the, the issue isn't not that they're accountable to one another, but they're, they're accountable to God for the responsibilities they have. Now, part of you is going like, well, wait a minute. If they're responsible to oversee the flock, aren't they accountable to one another, at least as leaders, to make sure that that happens? Well, let's, let's think about the implications. The question is, is there, what's the relationship between responsibility and accountability? If I give someone a job to do and they do it, and I have the authority to give them that, aren't they accountable for, to me to get that job done? That would make sense. But we're not talking about roles and responsibilities in ministry, we're talking about life. Now, it'll leak into those things, for sure, and I'll try to give you an example of how that works. But one of the things you're gonna say is, well, wait a minute, I just finished listening to The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll's thing, Boy, that's pretty terrifying. And someone's going to say, where in the world was the accountability for a narcissistic demigod who thought that he ruled the world and was entitled to everything? And, and so the question is, obviously, there wasn't much accountability, and so that's why it went bad. Don't we have to have accountability for those things? Others would say things like, what about people who are doing immoral things? Isn't there accountability for that? The other side of it is... Just the whole idea of what's the nature of accountability. So let me show you just a basic principle that I think I see, especially in the New Testament, 
that, not, again, not dealing with business or you know, roles and responsibilities so much as just the community of faith, is that clearly there's a sense of accountability, but I'm going to suggest to you that the accountability that we need to be the most concerned about is our accountability with God. And what happens is, is that lots of people forget that accountability, they act like God died, put them in charge, and they try to make people accountable to them. Because I know what's best for your life, I have the authority to do it, and so you need to become accountable to me. Seems to make sense, but I want to try to point out where that runs into some problems. But the other side of this is responsibilities, and I will propose to you that the predominant folk of Scripture, if you read through the text, is that it doesn't matter whether you're elders or whether you're in a ministry or whatever it is, the, the driving force of accountability needs to be with God, not with people. God tells us we have certain responsibilities to one another, but it's not my job in, in this situation to live out the Christian life and determine what's successful for you. I'm accountable to God for what I do. I'm not accountable for what you do. Let me put it this way. When, let's say, Grant and I are standing before God after life is done and we're standing there, God is not going to say, Brad, would you help me out here and give account of how you think Grant did? I don't think he's going to ask me that. You know what I think God's going to ask me? Brad, listen, never mind about Grant. I, I want to have a little chat about you and what you're, you've done with your life. I mean, that's what the text says. Each one will give account for himself or herself to God. The problem is there's lots of Christians who are running around who think that God's going to, at the end of their life, say, listen, I want you to give an account for all the people that you tried to fix, that you tried to get to do what you thought was right. That's not going to happen. And there's people who are wasting tons of time trying to make other people accountable to them in order to define what successful Christian living is, and that's not your job as I read this text. The text says that's God's job, not yours. But I can hear it going off in your minds. It's like, well, Brad, this is sounding like, I get it, but this is stupid. Not to have accountability? What, are, you, are you serious? Well, I'm not saying that. But we have to journey through the process. Now, let me try to illustrate it a different way. This is always the fun one, because I had lots of experience doing it wrong. If you take husband and wife, and if you happen to be egalitarian, this won't make much sense to you, but anyway, um, the scriptures talk about husband's supposed to be the head of those wife, and the wife is to submit to their husbands. Well, what happens in lots of marriages that fall apart is that the husband says, I'm the head of this household, I'm going to make the decisions, and it's a whole idea of you know, leadership and accountability, that's a whole other discussion, but the point is, is that if things don't go well, they try to fix it. And what happens in terms of headship, and the, where it really sort of deteriorates, is that it sort of turns into, I'm trying to get my wife to submit to me because I know best. And the wife says, look, I don't like the way you're doing it, so she tries to either nag or manipulate or give lots of suggestions about what she thinks he needs to do. And, and the problem with it is they're acting like I'm accountable for your life and you ha have to answer to me for what's going on so I have the right to tell you what to do. Now, 
I would prefer to think of the text this way. Husbands, it's not so much how much authority you have to to dominate your, your family and to tell them what to do. You're under authority of Christ as head. And what Christ is most concerned about is in Ephesians 5, are you loving your wife like Christ loved the, loved her, the church and sacrificed his life? Are you nurturing her? See, guys, if we spent more time understanding our accountability to God in that role, we spend way more time trying to make sure we're doing the right thing rather than fixing our wives. But somehow we get judgmental and criticized and condemning of our spouse, and I think it fits into here, not because we consciously do this, but we've, we're starting to act like God died, put me in charge, and you have to do what I tell you. And wives will do the same thing. I'm not gonna let them off the hook. You know, I've been asking you for five years to do this thing. Why don't you, how come you haven't done it? Yeah, well, it's never gonna get done if you keep that up. Because guys don't want to be bullied or nagged or manipulated into doing things. But then what happens is we act like we're, that person is accountable to me, and I spend all my time trying to get them to do what I, my personal convictions are. And this is why things fall apart. And it's not just in marriage. I mean, you could even talk about this to some degree in terms of parenting. Now, clearly, kids are accountable to their parents, and this is where it gets a little trickier. But the problem is, you, I, I believe, that when you can see that crossing the line is where parents are trying to live out a successful life through their kids by making them better than everybody else on the planet. They're, they're, they're really accountable to me, and I'm gonna, li- I'm gonna make you successful so that I don't look like a bad parent. You ever had those conversations as a parent? We're not raising our kids the way that couple does because there's, that's wrong. That's disrespectful. Well, it might be, but again, we're in danger of tripping on this idea of condemning and criticizing and evaluating and vetting other people, and I think Paul would come to us and say, hey, dude, when did God die and leave you in charge? They're answerable to God for what they're doing, not you. Now, someone's going to say, well, I don't know, what do we do, just stand around here and look at each other? No, of course not. The, the scriptures are full of our responsibilities to one another but, but I'm accountable to God to fulfill that. I'm not accountable to make the other person do that. And so as you begin to unpack this thing, it, it actually takes a lot of pressure off because some people have savior mentalities. I have to save this person. I have to make this person do it right. I mean, that's the whole nature of our sense of accountability. It becomes difficult for us to deal with it. But I want to show you a passage that I showed last week, that I think often becomes the very nature of what we would call accountability. Colossians chapter two, we sort of, I I know when people read through this, they go, oh, well, that's the Pharisees and the scribe or some cult. I think this often reflects really closely what happens in so-called accountability groups in, in, in evangelical churches. Look at, if, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why is if you are still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish with the using. So, when, so if someone comes to me and says, like, I can't get my act together, I want an accountability person, will you be that person? What do we do? We create a bunch of things for them to do so we can 
create discipline or, or process so that they can get fixed. And a lot of people won't do that because if it doesn't work out, then I look like the failure. Why? Because I think they're accountable to me. But I have, all the, I have all the freedom and the privilege to move alongside somebody and say, listen, well, let's talk about God's truth. What does God's truth want you to do? Because if I think in terms of not them being accountable to me, but at the end of their life they're going to stand before God, wow, I want to do everything I can to move alongside of you so that you understand God's grace and what God calls you to do so that when you stand before him, we're not, we're not, you're not embarrassed about it. Now, just so that we have the other side of that coin, when you get to heaven and stand before the Lord, and he's going to say, hey, I'd like to, I, I, I want to talk about what you did. If you start into this little mode where like, well, you know, so-and-so told me to do this, and this was my parents' the way they raised me, so that he, I think God's going to go, hang on. You're not supposed to be giving an account of whether they did things right. I'm, I'm, I want you to give an account of how you're living your life. Do you see where this is going? See, I think we've mastered the ability to take accountability and, and to borrow my phrase, is to weaponize it, either to make excuses why I don't have to listen to people. Hey, I'm just accountable to God. I, you don't have any right to speak to me. I'm accountable to God. I'm kind of like, okay, knock yourself out if you want to take that one. I'm, I'm just trying to move alongside and help. If you don't want it, that's fine. I'm not accountable for you. You're not accountable to me for the way you live your life. I have a responsibility of being part of the body of Christ that if I see something, I love you enough that I'm gonna move alongside and say, hey, listen, tell me what's going on. This is confusing to me. How can I help? How can I encourage you? But I can no longer make someone do the right things than you can make me do the right things. And when we start making people do the right things, then we're saying, God died, you're accountable to me, and I'm gonna make you thrive. There's some people that'll even say, hey, I don't need another mother or father. They might, they might say, hey, I'm only accountable to God, so I don't have to worry about it. Some people even go, well, I'm, all I need to be is accountable to myself. Oh, good luck with that one. Do you know how silly that often sounds? I mean, I, I get we've all said it, I've said it. I'm accountable for myself. I, I do, actually, you're accountable to God for, how, for this. And this is where you get some people that are, will beat themselves incessantly because they're so broken they have this performance-driven thing that if they don't do certain things, they're not worth anything. Their value isn't significant. So they've basically considered God dead, I'm my own boss, I'm accountable to me, and I'm gonna pound the living stuffings out of me till I get it right. And, and God says, in a sense, we're responsible, but. I'm not even accountable myself, and I'll show you how that fits in at the end. So the, the question is, what's the difference? We have all kinds of responsibilities to one another, but we're all accountable to God. And if we take on this role where he says in Romans, if you start judging and complaining and nogging on people because they're not living up the way you think they should spiritually, you're basically saying, hey, I don't care if God's, we're all going to stand before God's judgment seat. I'm going to deal with this right now. I'm going to fix them. I'm going to make them do the right thing. 
Now, this is where it gets complicated because some people need more help than others. If they're willing to listen, I can move on. But, you know, I run into people all the time is, hey, they came to me and asked for some advice. I gave it to them and they didn't do it. Go figure. You ever had that happen to you? Well, if you're a parent, I mean, go figure. If you're married, hey, if you're looking in the mirror, hey, I want to change. I'm going to go do a workout. I'm going to start the new year. I'm going to get in shape. It lasts two weeks and it's gone. So much for the accountability. But the, the, the problem in this is we have to sort of get back to recognizing God's authority. That's what the text goes on and says. Like, why are you judging one another? For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. Now, I don't want to get into all the complexities of this, but it really reaffirms the fact that he's already said it's kind of an interesting nuance because it's a little different than 2 Corinthians where it says well, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Here he says we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Which I think based on Peter and other things, he's saying like all of humanity is going to give account for their life. Every individual is going to give account for my life. Whether they're a believer or not, they're finally at some point in the text in Isaiah makes it clear that those who despise God will also come and acknowledge that God's the only one who's righteous and it's not me. But for believers, that, it talks a lot about the judgment seat of Christ and having things dealt with in our own life. The judgment seat is kind of a tricky thing. Back in Roman times, uh, if you remember Jesus before Pilate, we're told that uh, in Matthew and John that G- he had Jesus come out and they, he sat, Pilate sat on the judgment seat. That's where they sort of adjudicated different uh, issues in the community in terms of right and wrong and, and the legal areas. And Jesus stood before Pilate in, at the judgment seat. The, the one in Matthew is pretty explicit because they're kind of going, hey, every year we set a prisoner free. Do you want us to set Barabbas free or Jesus? He had the authority on that judgment seat to make those kind of decisions. Problem for Pilate is he couldn't find anything wrong in Jesus. He thought he was a righteous person. So he's caught in a dilemma And of course, nothing really good happened to it in that process. So the the idea of a judgment seat is that God alone is the one who has the right to examine your life and my life, and he's the one that gets to determine, hey, is this good or bad? Is this successful or not successful? And, And the danger here is not that we don't have tons of responsibilities to love and to forgive and to encourage. Those are our responsibilities. But we're accountable to God for that responsibility, just like a husband's needs to be more responsible for what he's supposed to do than trying to make his wife do what she's supposed to do. And, and so as you walk through this journey, this idea of being accountable, Paul comes to them and says, listen, instead of gnawing one another and sniping on one another, you gotta remember that we're all accountable to God and we're gonna answer to him. And he's not gonna ask your opinion on someone else's life you stand alone before God and say, this is why I did made these choices. Well, God, yeah, I, I guess I see where this is a problem, but so-and-so gave me this advice. God's gonna go, I'll worry about them. I'm, I'm trying to decide, this is between me and you. And so as we begin to think through this, There's three areas that the scriptures are pretty explicit about our accountability. The first one is our words. If you go to Matthew 12, 35, 
Jesus is making this statement. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and an evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you are justified, and by your words you are condemned. Merry Christmas. And that ties directly back into the text where he's saying, listen, where are you mouthing off condemning people around you? When did, when did God die and leave you in charge to evaluate everybody else's life? I mean, where, where are you spinning off on these things? And the second one is our works. 1 Corinthians 3, there's others. 2 Corinthians does the same thing. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. So God's going to, you're gonna, we're gonna stand before him, he's gonna vet the works that we did, the, the things that we, we did. And any sense of personal self-righteousness, I, I am convinced, anything we can go, hey God, look what I did for you, he's probably gonna go, yeah, well, okay, you do realize it was my spirit and your grace, you just need to slow it down, let me, let me, let me decide whether it's valid or not. But it wouldn't surprise me if some of us are trying to talk God into accepting our standard because we think he's accountable to us. And the last one is our witness. This is a really interesting statement. I, I know you've probably tracked through it, but this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now here's the implicit question. Faithful to who? To God. Because that's the context he's talking about. Not to everybody else, and you'll see how, why this plans out. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. <laughs> I mean, I, the danger here, this is such a big subject and I think an important one that I could get stuck here. There are some people that think I'm accountable just to myself and so it doesn't matter whether I let myself off the hook and I can do whatever I want or I beat myself to to death because I'm not performing. I'm not up and doing what I ought to do. And, and that basically sort of spits in God's face and saying, I'm not accountable to you. I'm accountable to me and I'm gonna make sure this is done right. I don't trust that what you say is best for my life. The problem is when we stand before the Lord, we've got this whole body of stuff that we think that we've done really well and saying, hey, look at all I did and God says, uh, well, None of that counts because those are your standards, your convictions, not mine. And he says right out, hey, it's a very small thing that you're gonna pass judgment on my life, why? Well, I don't even judge myself because he goes on and says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not therefore acquitted because of that. I mean, listen, you and I can talk ourselves into anything if we want to. That's why, in a sense, we're, not, we're responsible for how we live, but we're not the final authority in terms of accountability. Just because Paul says, I don't know anything, that doesn't acquit me. I'm not the final accountability in my own life. 
It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time. And that's exactly what happens in so many Christian circles. Is people stereotype other people, they pass judgment on them, they, they have a certain despising attitude towards them because they're not doing it the way I would do it. They don't even go and chat with them. Now it doesn't mean we shouldn't sit down and have really intense conversations about what does God's word say? But my primary motivation needs to always be, hey, they're not accountable to me. I want to move alongside and give as much encouragement as I can because what God, God's going to hold them accountable for what God is asking them to do. And if I can do that, it takes a lot of pressure off the fact that even if you're discipling someone or your elders, they're not accountable to me. They're accountable to God. I have a responsibility to, do the, to them that God's going to hold me accountable for but we got to start worrying more about how am I living rather than how everybody else is living. But we need to be passionate about moving alongside each other and praying and encouraging and showing kindness and forgiveness. That's our responsibility. And if you don't want it, I can't do anything about that. Because there's some people who are pretty self-contained. I don't need anybody. I, I'll do my own thing. I don't care. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. That last sentence is really important for you to hear I think this morning. Because I may have like prompt on the accountability thing for all of us. Which I think hopefully is just the text that's saying it. And I hope that you'll walk away going, all right, I need to do some reading and I need to study the scripture a little bit more and I gotta think about this whole thing of accountability because even if we can justify good accountability to help each other, I think it's the wrong language because the danger is we start setting things up that we want people to conform to rather than here's what God's word says. How can I help you live that way? Because ultimately, I don't wanna be responsible for them making a bad decision and then trying to blame me for it when they stand before the Lord. But the statement here says, no matter what happens, when we stand before the Lord, there may be some things, works and witnesses and words and all that kind of stuff that get consumed in the fire. But in 1 Corinthians 3 and here, the statement in, in 1 Corinthians 4 is that each one will receive his commendation from God. God's not gonna finish that process by saying, wow, I really made a mistake picking you. He's, everyone will receive their own praise from God. So whether I do it as well as someone else or not, God's going to reward each of us for those times that we live by faith, we embrace God's grace, we walk humbly with him, and it doesn't matter whether, I mean, this is another reason why we, that we run into is we start comparing ourselves to the people around us, and we, in a sense, create our own accountability that I have to be like them. And this thing promises that each one of us will get our own reward and praise from God. We can't let ourselves off the hook. We can't start succumbing to other people's judgment. If we spend all our time comparing my life and what I do, whether it's better or worse than what other people do, well, are there effective ways to do things or not? Sure. But let's collaborate, not beat each other up with it. And so at the heart of this thing is, is saying, Sometimes we think about accountability. I want to challenge you that are you really thinking about the idea of accountability the right way? 
Because listen, I, I've, I've seen it in so many different situations. Well, we gotta have more accountability. We have to set up structures to help people, you know, getting their lives straightened out. And we can create rules and regulations and it has the appearance of self-made religion and asceticism and it looks good, but it doesn't really deal with the issues of the flesh and the heart. We don't want to set up accountability like that because that'll cause people to fail constantly. Do you know that you're accountable to God? Do you know that you and I will give an account of our life to him when we're finished living? And frankly, it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I mean, we're a community, so we want to operate as a family and love one another, and so we have to have ways that we're going to operate. But the danger is, and especially through the year that we've come through, boy, I tell you, we've sort of gone to the ugly side of life as a church, not here, but as a church in general, where people are passing judgment on other believers because they don't live the same way they're doing it. They're disappointing them and not meeting their expectations, and they start criticizing and measuring their spirituality based on what they think. We have to give an account of our life to the Lord. Let's live that way because he's gracious and he's kind. He knows that we're nothing but flesh. And somehow, no matter how much we stumble around or flog through it or how disappointed we are in our own accountability, at the end of it all, God's gonna say, I'll give you, I'll give you the praise for the things that you did in responding by faith to my grace and my kindness, and I'll reward you. Won't affect our salvation, 1 Corinthians 3 says, It'll just give us an opportunity to enjoy all that God has done even more. Pray with me, if you will. Father, I don't know about anyone else, but for me, this is a really tricky subject because it's almost impossible for us not to think in terms of accountability, and, and yet I think your word emphasizes something different than the way we tend to think. Frankly, in many ways, it takes a ton of pressure off our lives that it's not our responsibility to make everybody live the way I want them to live. They're going to give an account to you on whatever that looks like. But if we really love one another, it doesn't exclude the, the idea of moving alongside and our responsibility is to encourage and live out body life the way your word tells us to. So I pray that you will challenge us to think in a way that truly honors you and embraces the fullness of life that Christ intended, not just for me as an individual, but for us as a body. It's tough. But Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace and your spirit and your word. Help us to fall in love with you again, to see the privilege of our responsibility of encouraging and loving one another because ultimately we're accountable to you. And for this we pray in Christ's name.